Christians, thanks for tuning into the show today. Glad you did that and hope that uh, you've had a good weekend. And now we thank you for listening to this show. The next hour or so, We Are Just Christians is going to be on the air. We're not live today, so I'm not going to give you the numbers. Last month or so, I've had to be out of town a couple of times, and so we can't do a live show today, but we're going to do this recording. You can certainly contact us by any time by text or email. In just a moment, I'm going to give you those text number and email but uh, you won't if you call the station today you won't be able to get through the program because we're making a recording you can reach us by text at 772-260-6120 that's my number my name is Mike Schmidt and my partner Gary Jones his number is 772-260-6220 you can reach us by text anytime that's true whether we're on the air or not. And when we're on the air, we'll try to respond to your text, either on the air or otherwise. Sometimes we can't, so we won't make a promise to that. But we'd like to have you get a hold of us. We love interacting with those who listen to this show. Whether you agree or disagree, that is not a problem at all to us. Also, I want to give you our email address if you'd like to contact the show. The email address for We Are Just Christians is justchristians at att.net. One word, justchristians at att.net. So I mentioned my partner Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm here, and I'm I'm looking forward to ready this. to go. All right. Well, we've we uh, usually kind of have a couple of topics we talk about, and then we take whatever calls or other interaction we get from you. Sometimes there's a lot. Sometimes there's very much. But since it's recording, we're going to have to do something that we just pre-decided. We thought we'd do something real basic today that hopefully will be of interest to you, and maybe it's something you've, maybe you thought about it before, maybe you've never thought about it, maybe you haven't thought about it in the way we're going to present it, but I'm going to talk with you today, and me and Gary do, about who is a Christian. You hear this word Christian used a lot, well, we use it in our show, we are just Christians, right? And we're right. trying to promote being just a Christian, New Testament Christianity, not some form of Christianity, not some hierarchy or catechism or anything like that, but being just a Christian, following what we believe the New Testament says we ought to follow in our personal life as well as the, how the church ought to operate as a group, how collectively we ought to live. That's what being a Christian is about. But you hear this word used a lot, like Christian nation or a Christian idea or Christian morality or Christian marriage. And you hear this used, Gary, in, well, I'm a Methodist Christian or I'm a Christian, but I'm a Methodist or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Catholic, and yet we're all Christians what does this word Christian mean? Well, if you look in Webster's, I think you'll probably find a lot of different definitions. Oh yeah, uh, of that. And and I'm uh, afraid know, I'm afraid to look at yes, Webster's. But it, you know, in truth, we live in a modern society, so it's okay to look in Webster's. But you have to understand that a dictionary definition of something is only a compilation of how a word is being used by modern people, and that dictionary definition will change over time because it only reflects what the uh, writers of the dictionary think is the common usage. So words have changed. Words come out, go out of the dictionary. Words come into the dictionary. Well, that's all interesting and well and good, and we come have to we have to communicate in modern language. But this word Christian is not a new word. It's a word that's found in the Bible. And so, since this show is being about uh, is about being just a Christian, and I think probably a large number of the people that would listen to this show have an interest in the meaning of the word. I think probably, Gary, their interest lies in knowing, more importantly, well, what does the Bible say this word Christian means? Don't yeah, you think and, that's the where we need to go with this? Right, and I think one thing we, we ought to point out at this point in time, Mike, is that when you look in the Bible, obviously different from Mir- Merriam-Webster, that our words change meaning or appear or disappear, the Bible does not doesn't it, change. It does not and, change. And even the Greek language that the Bible was written in is a dead language, frozen in time. And so lexicographers or people that write dictionaries and do word study meanings historically, whether they're, whether they're Christians or even believers, have studied the Greek language from that time. It's called Koine Greek, Common Greek of that time. And they, they decide on what these words mean by how they're used in that society. 
really the Greek lexicon that I would use, like Strong's or Brown, Driver, and Briggs, whatever you may use, is really the same thing is done that Webster's does today, Gary. They, Webster scours the sources and say, how is a particular word being used? Like I mentioned in the other day, uh, when I was a kid, we uh, couldn't wait for Friday night at 7.30. Me and my brothers gathered around our little small TV with my family, and, and the Flintstones came on, you know, the cartoon. The first primetime cartoon ever was the Flintstones. We loved that show. Even my mother got excited when they had a baby and they had, had to name the baby Pebbles and all this stuff. But in the song that comes on, everybody knows the song Flintstones, where the Flintstones, but, uh, and he, but Fred ends up saying at the end, or they're singing, uh, we'll have a gay old time. Now, in 1965, that, that word thing. gay meant something. In 2020, the word gay has additional meanings. In fact, the word gay, meaning homosexual, Maybe has supplanted the, the number the one usage of all the other way, ways you use it. So there's been a radical shift in the way. So Merriam-Webster can only reflect how a word is being used in a particular snapshot in time. A Greek lexicon about New Testament Greek or even Hebrew can, can, will reflect how a word was being used in that time period by those people that lived when the book was written. They'll look at sources outside the Bible and other Greek sources, and they can compile how it is, and they'll give you variations. Like if you look up the word run in the English dictionary, there's about 20 different uses of the word run. Everything run, running a stocking to, you know, run in a stocking to, you know, diarrhea. Or you get run, the word run. Or the, or the run of a movie. Uh, running of a movie, that's right. So you so. get all these variations. They all mean the same thing, essentially, but there's variations of meaning. So we're going to look, we looked at this word Christian, but I think... Most basically in the New Testament, we could very simply just go and look at how this word is used by the New Testament writers. And I want to urge our listeners to to think about this seriously. If you're going to use a Bible word like Christian, and you're going to have a concept in your mind what that word means, we on this show, since we're talking about going back to the first century for our concepts and ideas, we want to urge you to change or adopt the New Testament usage of a word, whether it's Christians or not, and make that your definition of the word. That way you know that you're thinking along the same lines as the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate with you. But if the Holy Spirit used a word when the New Testament book was written, but you're using the definition of the word in another way, the Holy Spirit's not able to communicate with you effectively because you're substituting your own definitions for Bible words. Exactly. We have, a, we have another phrase here. We uh, use Bible words for Bible things. Mm -hmm. If something's in the Bible, we're going to try to use a Bible word for it, not a word that men made up, you see. And not to change the subject, but that also contributes to our confidence in what we read in the Bible, that it is what uh, the, the apostles actually said through the, the, the Holy Spirit gave to them. Right. And it, so it's it's, a, it, it, that's, it, that's important to It's us. an indication of respect and reverence for the word. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread, word, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He is, he's, I think the most important word in that statement is every. Every word I, from the, the mouth of from God. From the mouth of God. But, I mean, he, he's saying you can't pick and choose the words and you can't redefine them, but listen to what they're saying. So all that said, that's all a lot of big stuff. Let's just go to the scriptures, and the first time, and the people are going to be surprised by this, Gary, if they've ever done their research, but the word Christian is only used three times in the whole New Testament, really in the whole Bible, as a word, Christian. Now, Christ is all through the Bible, of course, old and new, right. but uh, Christian is only used three times, and we're going to look at those three cases, and in that, looking at it, what we want to do today, for those who are listening, is show you how the Bible uses the word and thereby show you how, what the proper definition of the word is. From Just like Merriam-Webster would look at how a word is used in our society and tell you what the proper definition is. We want to look in the Bible and see that in this frozen language. So let's read the first case. It's in Acts chapter 11, the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 20. We're going to start in verse 24. It appears in verse 26. But in speaking of this man Barnabas, who was an early Christian, a great man, he says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And he, he's in the city of Antioch. They've left Jerusalem because of persecution. They've come to Antioch. The disciples have. Some of them have. And Barnabas is kind of there teaching. 
And it says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. This Saul later becomes the Apostle Paul, right? Right. As a matter of fact, Saul was from Tarsus. Right. And when he had found him, it says in verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So the first time this word is used in the New Testament and really was used anywhere is in the city of Antioch, which is in what we would now call Syria. In fact, this Antioch is called Antioch of Syria. Um, And uh, that's when it was used first, the scriptures say. So I want to look at this word. We're going to look at the other scriptures, but let's just look at the word itself because the word itself then is... In Greek, Christianos. Let me spell that. Here's Christ. The first part is Christ. C-H-R-I-S-T. We already recognize that. And then there's the suffix added to the name Christ. Ianos. I-A-N-O-S. Ianos. And what that signifies is belonging to men belonging to someone or men of someone. Men and women, of course. So the, the Christianos were literally in Greek the men belonging to Christ. And so it's according to the A.T. Robertson, who is a New Testament Greek scholar of the 20th century, maybe one of the best, he says this word Christianos is made, and, and he's making a commentary on this verse we're reading. That's where I found this, his, his word commentary, his Greek commentary on this. It's made after the pattern of Herodion or Herodiano, Herodianoi, the followers of Herod, or Caesarianos. Here's the Caesar. You recognize the words like Caesar. Right. Met a Caesar salad yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, Caesarianos. You have Caesar, then I A N O S, a follower of Caesar. Now, probably in this time period, the word follower doesn't mean something generic like somebody. I follow different people on their blogs. You know, that's more of a metaphorical mm-hmm. usage. This is probably in most the most literal meaning of this is somebody like who literally followed Jesus around or who literally was with Caesar following Caesar around because he was attached to Caesar's household. He was a servant or a slave or some kind of administrator. So it it comes to mean belonging to Caesar, he goes on to say. Diceman says in Light from the Ancient East, it means belonging to Caesar like a common adjective Caesarianos. So this word Christian does not mean just somebody who thinks Christ is a nice social activist or that Jesus had some nice ideas. The word Christian in the first usages of it, as is in the New Testament, meant a man or a woman who belonged to Christ. And it was used of the slaves or servants of someone's household. So... If you were a servant in Caesar's household or a slave, you were Caesarianos. Really? And that's how you're, that's what you're called. That's how people knew you. Oh, there goes the Caesarianos. Those are the people that are following him around that belong to him. Now, this is a very, uh, it's, it's a profound, I think, understanding for people today who make being a Christian kind of something that you're born into or you're a Christian because you're born in the United States and that's a Christian country or you're a Christian because your parents were Christians and had you baptized when you were a baby. This is a lot different concept than that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's it's talking about the whole nature and character and really the state of a person who is belonging to someone else and who is controlled by someone else. So when the disciples were called Christians, the word disciple is a... Mothetes in Greek, and it means a follower of someone. So it means someone who's following the teachings of another. So Jesus gathered disciples early in his ministry who would listen to him speak, and they say, yeah, I like what he's saying. I'm going to listen to his ministry. So they began to follow his teachings. Uh, and we have followers on Twitter and Instagram, but it doesn't mean that we belong to them, right. does it? <laughs> I follow people on Twitter uh, or uh, the, uh, Facebook that I would never say I would belong to them <laughs> is more of a curiosity or whatever. But to say, here are these disciples now. It says the disciples were now called 
Christianos, they belong to Christ. So I want to emphasize with our listeners that this is a different level of meaning in a word that we often take for granted. So when you use this word Christian, uh, remember that. Don't use it lightly. And if you use it in some secular way, like we're a Christian nation or a Christian marriage or something, you need to understand how you're doing it. And you might want to note that in your speech. Um, the word that it also something else interesting about this passage, Gary, is um, it's uh, this word we're called. Something like for they that krematizmo it says. I know that I know that this is on radio and people can't follow that, but krematizo uh, is the word that's used. It's a Greek word and it, it it says we're called. Now when you look this up in the Bible dictionaries, to it it means to appoint to warn or to nominate by divine direction. It's used in Matthew 2 about the birth of Christ. It's used in Luke 2, Acts chapter 10, and so forth, several references. And it means most likely, according to Adam Clark, another commentator, that Saul and Barnabas were directed to give this name to the Christians, and therefore that the name Christian is from God, as well as the characteristics of this word. Now, a lot of people disagree with that historically, and, you know, Christians can disagree about these things. They say the word Christian was given by the enemies of Christ, and they were called this name Christian in a derogatory fashion. Oh, there's those uh, followers of John Birch, or the John Birches, or there's those followers of, you know, Donald Trump or somebody else that people don't like. Uh, and so they was given by the enemies of Christ. Could be. Well, well, it's but I'll tell you, oh, go ahead. Well, it's interesting that you say that by by designation of God. Now, I know there are different interpretations, but, but I keep going back to Isaiah 62. It says, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Yeah, and, and most Christian commentators over the centuries have taken that prophecy in Isaiah 62 and linked it with this verse in Acts Next. 11, that God called that new name. And, and of course, the definition in the Bible, when it says, for example, Noah was warned by God, God. to build an ark of the flood. Right. So that's the same word here, words called or divinely given this instruction. And so I they say in the Bible, this common word means divine. I believe it's connected up too. And so it's possible that originally the word was used as a slander, and we'll see that more. We'll kind of come to a verse in First Peter about this a little bit later, if I if, if we get there, Gary, and some of our talking about this, the third use of this word in the Bible. But that it may have been given originally by the enemies, but the Holy Spirit's the one who records it here, right? As something that we should remember in Acts eleven twenty six, that they were called Christians first in Antioch. There's a reason why he records that, not just as a slander. And then he uses this word, we're called. It's a passive word. Who did it? Well, I think your verse gives me a clue in the Bible who gave it, that God gave them a new name. The enemies may have come up with it, but God said, yeah, that's a good name. The the ones belonging to Christ. And, you know, in in that time, it may have been a shameful thing to have your name attached to Christ. And sometimes it was. It was a dangerous thing. Sometimes a shameful thing. It was certainly a dangerous thing in the first few years because the Jews uh, did do a lot of persecution of Christians. Right. In, and then the eventually first, the Romans the took half, over. Yeah, in, yes. in the first half of the first century, right. the Jews were the primary persecutors of the Christians. Right. And they weren't always called Christians, but many places they were. But the whole, I think there's this connection. Men may have given it. The Holy Spirit put his, put his stamp of approval on it and recorded that here for us in this case. Now, the second uses of this use of this word, Gary. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. No, that's okay. I think it's great. I, I don't have that in, in my notes. For some reason, I didn't have that passage, and I'm glad you brought it up because I think that people who listen should understand that this wasn't an accident that it happened this way, that they were given a new name. Well, what would be the name that they would be known by? They would be known by the fact that they were the followers of the Christ. The, right. the word Christ... Uh, that's another whole word in itself. The word Christ means anointed in Greek, chosen or anointed. It is a parallel word, and almost no one in linguistics disagrees with this. It's the parallel word, if you're translating it from the Hebrew, Messiah or Messiah. 
So when you read about the Messiah in the Old Testament, that's the anointed. One. That's the anointed one in the New Testament because there's changing language from Hebrew to Greek. It becomes Christos or the name Christos or the Christ, the anointed one. And it could be used in a normal sense of this son was the chosen son, you know, that kind of thing. But it, it was used in the Bible to say God's anointed one. In fact, he kill, tells him in Acts chapter 2, just before uh, we're going to come back to that, but he says to, just before these events in Acts 11, he, he says you've killed God's chosen one or anointed one. You crucified yes. him. That's the Christ. Well, i ask you a question then. I've seen in other passages and other things that I've written, the term Christu. Is, do, you, do you know if that's a related term? Probably is. I See, in English we don't have what we would call an inflected language where a word has a different ending if it's used as a noun or as an adjective or as, a, as an object in a sentence or that kind of thing. A word is just a word. So we don't put, we don't say Christos and Christoi or that kind of thing. We, we, we put, like for example, in the Bible when it says there, are, uh, there were many Christs who appeared, you know, it, it would use the Christoi because that's the plural of Christ, Christos. Christos is singular, it's masculine. And then Christoi is plural. So we don't have that kind of language. So Christu, I'm not sure of the of the uh, definition of that. I'm not sure of the inflection there of Christu. Well, I've encountered it in song, and I think it's related. It may be the, the a Latin part. It may be something in the Latin. <clears throat> well, I encountered it in a song that was used in South Africa. Okay. Uh, so basically, I don't know where it came from, but the the lyrics of the song indicated to me that it was talking about Jesus. Yes, I'm uh, sure it would so be. That was just another form that I didn't know whether you had encountered or not. Chris do. Let's see what it says here. I'm looking it up just for all of you. Well, I didn't mean to sidetrack oh, you. That's okay. I love I love word things, and I'm not seeing what I want to see here. Uh, I think it's uh, Slava Isusu Christu. It's a, it's a song. You're right. It's using a song. And um, when you go look at, again, Miriam Webster, I'm see, let's see if it's... If it's in here, um, I'm not seeing uh, Greek Christos. Christus is Latin. C-H-R-I-S-T-U-S. And uh, I'm not sure the Christu then is probably a form of that. Okay. Okay. That's why I say it's probably a form of that. Maybe from Italian, which I certainly don't know much Italian. I know lasagna. That's about all. And Bologna. (laughs) Which I like with mayonnaise on toast, but anyway, uh, you get the idea. I don't know as much. I don't know much about about Italian, but I think that's probably what it is. Similar word. Now, well, just in the effort of trying to help you make a yeah. thirty minute lesson into that. Oh, that's okay. Well, yeah, uh, Gary, you don't have to do that. Uh, it, when you go to the second occurrence, Acts eleven is the first occurrence of the word. Go to the second occurrence in um, Acts twenty six, verse twenty six. Here. The Apostle Paul, that Saul we said earlier, now he's been being persecuted for Christ. He's become a a, a great apostle, and he's now imprisoned. And the the man he's standing in front of is a a part Jew, a Herodian named Herod Agrippa. The the Romans controlled by military force the area of Palestine where the church began. They had put in place a provincial government run by the Herod family, which were part Idumean, which is another group of people, Arabs near there, and then the, the, the Jews. He was half and half, and he was the king, as it were, over that area. And so Paul is standing before this man, and he, in his middle of his talk with armed guards around, Paul says to this king, King Agrippa, verse 27 of Acts 26, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. You believe him, he's saying, because you were raised to be a Jew and you know what the prophets say. You know that the prophets predicted a Messiah would come. And I'm telling you, this Jesus is that Messiah, Paul's telling him. And he might have been even talking about Isaiah 62. He, yeah, he, yeah, that's right. He had, other, he had said other things before this verse. I, for sake of time, didn't read all that. But then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. There's the second use of the word. And Paul said... I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. So Agrippa says, 
you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Uh, in, in some versions of the Bible of the New Testament, like King James, it says literally, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And it, it gives the impression to many people that Paul was saying, he was saying, Paul, well, you know, with just a little bit more convincing, I could become a Christian myself. Um, newer translations of that phrase say, with such few words, you think you could you make me make a Christian? Make it into something sarcastic. They make it into something sarcastic. And, and it's possible. It, look, it can be translated either way. But you can't okay. deny one thing. that the, the name was in must have been in general use here's by a, that time. Here's a man who wasn't a Christian, a man before him. And he, he Not already, only that, but he's a, in a high position. That's so. a great point, Gary. I hadn't thought of that. But this indicates that the name by the by the toward the end of the book of Acts, later, uh, 20, 15, 20 years later, the word was in common usage. usage. Because Agrippa knew the word and knew Paul was one of them. He knew he was one of them, and he knew that what Paul was saying, if he believed he it, would make him a Christian, was. right? He understood all those things. And and Paul then, um, I think Paul took it to be all sort of sarcastic because he says, well, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me might right. become as I am. And it's interesting. I made this as a side point some time ago that here's Paul in this room speaking to a king who had power of life and death over him, a powerful man who has his entourage, his guards, and then there may be other servants standing around. Who knows other people there? And Paul has as much concern that the ones who are the servants standing over in the corner become Christians as he does that Agrippa becomes a Christian. He Please. says, I wish that you would, but I want all these people here from highest to lowest, from seen to unseen to become a Christian, which tells us how we ought to feel about the gospel today, doesn't it? Right. And, and I also think about sometimes... What if this man had become a Christian? Wow, that would be uh, what, astounding. What, what power and what resources he could have brought to bear to, right. to spread the word. It wasn't going to happen. But it wasn't poli- It wasn't a politically correct no, thing to do. No, it, was, it certainly wouldn't have been. He, he wasn't the kind of man who would have put principle above, above uh, what, what word am I trying to say, uh, political expediency. Yes, uh, but it seems words, like but. they were fairly principled even in verse 30 they they just immediately after this they discussed what to do with paul and they said he didn't deserve anything right death yeah that he, he he had to he had to look out for doing in general what was right at times and he did that in this case but this didn't he could have saved paul and released him and that'd been the end of it but he right. didn't do that either because it wasn't politically expedient and you see then paul's story gets more complicated we have that's not really our subject today, but well, I know, but I think basically God had some providence could, in this. Could Agrippa have? Did he know enough to become a Christian? He did. Yes, and, and but he didn't. And he didn't release Paul. He sent Paul to Caesar, which was, I think, part of the plan. Yeah, I um, we sing a song. It's an old Almost Southern persuaded. gospel song in our services. Sometimes at the end, "Almost Persuaded," which has the idea that. Um, someone could be almost persuaded, but almost but lost, it says. Yes. Almost but lost. And the idea is, is that you? You're almost going to be a Christian but lost? That's come playing off of these words by Agrippa here. Well, that's why it's important, I think, to understand what a Christian is in the Bible. It's how it's it's the person who has been saved. It's the person yeah. who has been Those saved. Those outside of Christ who are not Christians, according to the Bible, are not saved. Once again... Not very politically correct, but that's what this is saying in this case. So that's the second usage of the word. Well, one other thing I want to say about right. being saved is basically, what does it mean to be saved? And it means to be safe from the, basically safe, delivered from the wrath of God. There's coming a day that if we look Saved like from it, sins is delivered from the wrath God, of God. Is delivered right. from the wrath of God is what that means. So there is coming a day, folks, when we're going to face the wrath of God for those. Yeah. Well, we will all face judgment, but there's going to be wrath for those who did not obey God. Right. And that's so. If you want to be a Christian and be saved and be delivered from the wrath of God, that goes back to... Well, last Friday we talked to a guy who says, why do you want to be a Christian? What did he say? Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I, 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 I thought good about that response because I thought that's, that's a good, that's good thinking. 
You know, I read something the other day, Gary, we're off the subject a little bit about a short sermon, effective but short sermon, which I know that the people here in this church would love me to preach, <laughs> more short, effective sermons. Well, you've been but doing a better doing job. Doing a little better job. Yes, because i got an eye watch that my set that bumps my wrist when I'm supposed to stop. and I, <laughs> I, It bumps me again when I'm really supposed to stop, so it, it helps a little bit. But in any event, but that's why we're having more two-part sermons. But in any event, this sermon, it goes back to Jonah, where when God finally gets Jonah to go to Nineveh after being swallowed by the, the fish. It's here, it says he preached to these Ninevites this sermon, yet 30 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the only words we know that he said to them. <laughs> Obviously he said more. And so the person made the point, this is an effective sermon. He gives a time period, yet 30 days. There's coming a time when you're going to be judged. It's, it's set, yet 30 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Those who don't obey will be destroyed. And then you see that the Ninevites repented in dust and ashes at this preaching. At this preaching, they oh, repented. Oh, man, there's a rabbit I so, want to chase right now so bad. <laughs> chase it for a minute, and then we're going to get back okay. on the subject. Well, what does God say about people who repent or not? He said, you know, God determined to destroy a nation. Well, what happens if they repent? He said he would relent. He would relent. Now, how does that bear into what we've discussed? We've discussed about free will and, and free will choice and, 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 and all that. It, 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 it's it's just, all through the Bible, Gary. Sorry, I just couldn't God resist can, God can change his mind right. when, he, when you repent. And it's obvious that it's not all, not everything has been preordained from the beginning of time like so many religious people have come to believe. That simply isn't taught by the Bible. That's based on a philosophy. Sorry, well, I just couldn't that's okay. That I, I, I was thinking the same thing myself. The, the third usage of this word Christian, the last usage in the New Testament is, uh, and by the way, when I say the last, the Bible gives a lot of other names or descriptions of these uh, disciples, their followers, they're called the way, they're called the church, and all this stuff. I'm not saying these are the only things, but this word Christian is the one we want to focus on because it seems to be a name that they took upon themselves. It's in, it, the, the last usage is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. And so here's this man, Peter, who was with Jesus from the beginning. He went all the way through the crucifixion, even though he uh, ran away from Jesus in shame after he denied him, was later restored and became a great apostle. And he was the one who preached this sermon, as we're going to go to in just a moment. But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, let none of you, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Oh, man, we could spend an hour. Well, that's another that, whole lesson, Oh, we could it? spend an hour on that God, verse alone. That you, Christian, being a Christian doesn't mean, this is, a, this is another indication that once you're saved, you can be lost, isn't it? Yes. Even though it, it's kind of subtle, he's saying, be careful, you people who are Christians, not to do these things like murder, being a thief or an evildoer, because... Judgment's going to begin at the house of God. Well, if he's not going to punish and, anybody. And it's going to be with you first. And he's going to say it's going to come to you first. So this is another verse to use to show that once you're saved, you can be lost if you do these evil things. So that's another subject. We, we talked about this a couple <laughs> weeks ago. but uh, Well, I'm, I'm going to give you one other definition that I think is important to our listeners. We, we are called Christians, but we're also called saints. Oh, yes. I didn't think about it. Yes. And, that and, means set and that's a misused word in, in today's society, I believe. We need to clarify that. Saints are Christians. That's exactly the same thing. It doesn't mean they've been to, chosen after being dead and doing miracles right. and all that and given names, saint so-and-so. All the Christians were called saints. Who were, they were set, it means they were set apart to Christ. You know what it means, Gary? They belong to Christ. They belong to Christ. That, that's what the word Christian means. means. It's a very it's, parallel word. That's holy. exactly what it And it's, it's the same word for holy. That's, exact, that's right. Well, now, I, we're going to come back to that verse, but let's just go on just one second here because I, I want to come back to that in just a second. But I want to jump backwards now in time. We've used, look at the three usages of this word. Sorry, I the, keep sidetracking. No, that's okay. We've used the three usages in, this, in the Bible of the word. But who are they? The topic we're talking about is who is a Christian? Who are they? 
Well, let's go back to the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, we have the story of Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection appearing to the apostles and there he tells them that all authority in Matthew 28 and Acts 1 has been given to me and you're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature in my name. And then he ascended up to heaven and told them to wait in Jerusalem because power was going to be given them from on high. Go wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send power to you. Well, they waited in Jerusalem uh, for the power to come in the Holy Spirit. And so after the Passover, 50 days after the Passover, when Jesus was crucified, comes the day of Pentecost, which means 50 days later, essentially. Pentecost meaning about, five. About 10 days after he ascended. Right. Here comes the Holy Spirit to the, to the apostles, and it falls on them, and, and that these men begin to speak in tongues that they didn't know. It. Everybody was hearing in their own language, and they, they thought they were drunk. But in the middle, toward the middle of this sermon, Peter makes a quotation from the prophets, a prophet Joel, in verse 21, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I want to hold on to that idea because he's, he's talking about salvation here. Right. Peter's sermon is about salvation. And he says very generically, whoever calls on his name. Now, you'll hear preachers on the radio and TV today. They say, well, just raise your hands and call the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, 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 and you'll be saved. That's not what this verse means. And I know it doesn't mean that because when you look in the context of this passage, there's a lot more to calling on the name of the Lord than saying the name Jesus out loud and repeating it. He goes on to say that this man, Jesus, whom you uh, was approved by God and did many miracles, I'm paraphrasing verse 22, you delivered him up to the Romans, these lawless men, and you crucified him and put him to death. And God raised him up. Now, skip over to verse 36 of Acts 2. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, this man named Jesus that you knew, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here are men who were told to call in the name of the Lord. They told they had crucified the Christ. They were cut to the heart by this accusation. What are we going to do about this? And then Peter said, verse 38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he, he just told them how to call on the he name He told of them how to call. If you'll read a little bit later in the chapter, it says calling on his name. And in Acts twenty-two sixteen, he tells Saul the same thing. Arise and be baptized, calling, calling on, on the, the name, name of the Lord. Lord. That's how it's that, done. It's a connection. My, there. That was my next. Step oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's connected up there. Now today, Gary, we're going to get a little bit ahead of myself. You'll hear people, preachers and people, Protestants in particular. They talk all. They talk about salvation all the time. They get. They get a person. They will bring a person to the point of crying out, essentially, "What should I do to be saved?" And the last thing they tell them to do is the first thing Peter tells them to do in this verse. They tell them to believe. They tell them to call on the name. They tell them to say the sinner's prayer. They never tell them to repent and, and, be, and be baptized, baptized for the purpose of the remission of sins. They never tell them that. But I just, So I just want to point those of you who are listening who are, uh, are concerned about what the scriptures do say and look at it this way. Look at what Peter tells them to do in Acts 2. And compare that to what you may have been told by a preacher some years past or what you may believe that you're supposed to do. And, you know, it's different. Notice what it says uh, then a little bit later in verse 40. With many other words he testified to them and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. What was the subject of Peter's remarks about being repenting and being baptized, it was salvation, okay? It wasn't uh, something that was done after salvation. As you're taught today in most Baptist churches, for example, you believe and then you're saved and then eventually become baptized at Easter, Christmas, or at a convenient time. He tells them to be baptized and to save themselves in that from this perverse generation. Then notice what it says in verse 41. You just can't get away from it. Then those, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
There were more than 3,000 people there, Gary. You know that. Oh, and yeah. Three, but 3,000 of them heard what Peter said under the power of the Holy Spirit. Here was the Holy Spirit revealing God's will to them through the mouth of a holy apostle. And many of the people turned away and would not be baptized. But 3,000 received his word, and when they received his word, they were baptized. So I ask people today, the question is, do you receive the words that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in Acts chapter 2? If you do, what should you do about that? Well, you should do the same thing they did, shouldn't you? Yes. You should repent and be baptized. That's what the scriptures say they did. Those who refused to be baptized, by implication, had rejected Peter's words. So people can get upset or criticized because we preach that a person to be saved must have faith, must have saving faith that leads them to this belief that leads them to confess their sins, to repent of their sins and be baptized for the remission of those sins. They criticize us for saying that, but right here the apostle says this very thing to them, and it's repeated three different places in this passage. Then it says about these people, Gary, uh, that in verse 42, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And they praised God. In verse 47, they were praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who are the ones who were being saved in Acts chapter 2? Well, they were the ones who were being repenting and being baptized. It says, save yourselves. And it talks about those who received his word were baptized. And they were called the church in that case. So here's the beginning of the church. The disciples have followed Jesus. Now many of those people became, were baptized and became the church. Okay, in Acts chapter 2. And they were people that have been baptized. Now I want you to hold on to that for a second. Because time goes by. Have we ever heard the word Christian yet? Not yet. We're only in Acts 2. You come to chapter 8, and you've got a story of a man who was not a Jew by birth, but was a proselyte. He had been to Jerusalem. He was from Ethiopia, probably a black man from Ethiopia, who had come to the temple to worship because he, he believed in the God of Israel. And it says he was devout and that he was reading Isaiah the prophet, didn't understand what he was reading. God said in seeing this man, he said, Philip, he, the Holy Spirit told Philip, go and, go and attach yourself to this man. The Holy Spirit told Philip to go. Well, when he got there, Philip then, it says, opened his mouth and began at, beginning at this scripture in Isaiah where he was reading. He preached Jesus to him. Now, I want you to think about that. He preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? If you're listening to the preachers on the radio and TV today and in your local evangelical church or Baptist church or whatever the case may be, and even in your Catholic church, they're going to tell you that they're preaching Jesus to you. How many people in those services in any given Sunday, immediately say, Gary, whoa, I need some water so I can be baptized when they have Jesus preached. No, they, they don't think about water. They think about saying the sinner's prayer, something like that. I, I even asked one time, I was corresponding with somebody on, on the, the Internet through email, and they, to, and they told me, he says, uh, he says, you need to say the sinner's prayer. And I says, well, where, where in the scriptures do I find the sinner's prayer? If I'm going to say it, tell me the words. Yeah, tell me yeah. the words. Where do I find it in Scripture? I want to know that God told me to do this. After about a week, he sent me a note back and says, well, the sinner's prayer is really not in the Scripture. Yeah, sure. Which which tells me something. <laughs> but he was still going to tell people to do that. Right. But he couldn't give me any couldn't words to, to say out of the Bible. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm not doing it because I like it or because I like water or whatever the case may be. If I'm going to preach Jesus to somebody, it needs to be, the preaching needs to be of such a nature is that they need, they're going to say, what hinders me? Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, it isn't a matter of taking a baby and dunking a baby or you being baptized for somebody else or, or just being a ritual you go through. When he asked what, what hindered him, 
the apostle said, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So when someone comes to me and they want to be baptized, I ask them this question. I say, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If you believe that with all your heart, you, you can be baptized. But until you do, I'm not going to dunk you underwater because it doesn't mean anything. Well, and basically, The water only has any power because God's Word gives it power. And I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit here for a minute. Why did Peter tell them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Why did he tell them that? Why did you tell well, him it to says for the remission of for sins. For the remission of sins. Right. Now, go right back to Acts 22 and 16 that we quoted earlier. What does that say? Now, some people will say that's... Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Sin, your sins. Okay. Not that the water washed away his sins. Who washed away his God sins? God washes away the sins. And washed well, people, away I don't believe in water salvation. I don't either. But I believe in, I believe in God doing what God says. And, and, and God washed away your sins with the blood of Christ. Right. Now, the next verse, Acts 8, 38, after, he, after the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it says, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And so you make the, the point is clear here. This wasn't some kind of sprinkling or pouring a little bit of water on somebody. There was no need for that if that's all that was required. Philip, there was no need for them to go both go into the water. The only reason they both went into the water is because they both, because one of them was going to be buried and covered up by the water. Because what? That Greek word baptized. Means bury or immerse. It's, it's, it's the Greek word. It's been transliterated. It means immerse. If, if they had translated this word in the King James and newer versions from Greek to English, it wouldn't say baptize. It would say plunge or immerse or bury. Right. The word baptize is a transliteration where you take the letters of one language and just bring them over. Because in the time the King James Version around that time was translated into English, the one versions that most everybody uses, uh, the Anglican Church was already sprinkling, and they didn't want to make King Henry and all the bishops mad, so they, translate, they just transliterated the word. It was already... But, you know, there's a word in Greek the Holy Spirit could have used for sprinkle, Gary. It's rantizo. He, the Holy Spirit could have chosen that word if that was good enough. Holy Spirit didn't do that. Why? Well, when you read in, first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, you see that a person being buried is after the pattern of Christ right. being buried and, being, and raising up. Paul says this in Romans 6. It's the form of doctrine of being of being dead to sin, being buried and raised up like Christ was raised up. And But who, do, who does the work in baptism? You're not doing the work. Well, God is doing Colossians the work. 2 says it's by the operation of God or by the working of God that this happens. Exactly. Okay. And that's what I'm saying. When you, If you look up the definition of that word, uh, I'll just make this point. In Greek, one of the illustrations that I saw in one of the lexicons was to like to dye a piece of cloth. You have to dip it all the way in. Right? You have to get it all. You have to get it completely covered. You don't. You don't just partially dip. Or sprinkle some dye on it. Or sprinkle some dye on it to change the color of the cloth. You you have to literally immerse it. It's a burial and a resurrection. Baptism is a burial and a resurrection. Burial from the old way of living, being raised to walk a new life. Paul says in Romans six, verse six. Well, now now jump ahead now from Acts eight, this Ethiopian, this African, to Acts eleven. This is the same chapter now where we have this usage of the first called Christians. Notice what it says here, verse 20. Some of the men came from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. What did, the, what did Philip do to the eunuch that caused him to want to be baptized? He preached Jesus, Jesus to, to him. him. Here's the, here, these people are doing the same thing. They're preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned. That's another word for repentance to the Lord. So you got you're going to have, uh, you got believing and repentance here. And it says, a good, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Here's this adding to the Lord, like they were added to the church in Acts 2, we saw. Same concepts, same ideas. Being added, you're now... Belong now they become part of a group. group. Being Christian is just an individual thing. It's part of being a group, a body of believers, the church. 
Then it says in verse 26, And when they had found him, they brought Paul to Antioch. And so it was for a whole year he assembled with the church, or they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now notice then who it is that were called Christians. Start with Acts 11, 26. These people were called Christians. Work your way back through a chain of events and teaching. The same words, same concepts, same ideas, where they start off as disciples and they became believers and they called the church. They were added together and then they turned, had Jesus preach them. So these were people who had, who had believed, who had repented, and as the Ethiopian eunuch did, they had confessed Christ as the Savior and they had been baptized. These people went to Antioch and they taught other people the same thing. And when those people responded, God called them Christians. So who is it in this passage that are called Christians? It's people that have done all those same things beginning in Acts chapter 2. Belief, repentance, confession, and being baptized. And then added to the church together, the group. Now these are the ones God calls Christians. So this word has been defined for us very clearly in the New Testament by its usage. And there's... No way we can just pull it out and say, well, that person loves Jesus, so he's a Christian. That person, I had a professor at Barry University, a Catholic nun, tell me that she believed that there were good Muslims and good Buddhists who were Christians because they thought highly of Jesus. No. Jesus is no one comes except to the you, Father but, but, but by me. me. Except you believe that I am he, you, you shall die in your sins. sins. That's what I told her, but she didn't like that. So the word Christian is defined very particularly in the New Testament. I don't think we should really be misusing it this way. And that's and that's what Paul's referring to in his letters when he says the saints that are at whatever right. letter was he was talking about, that's exactly who he's referring to. Now when you go to this last usage to bring it up again, First Peter 4, where Peter later in the New Testament says, that stop, don't be a murderer, an evildoer, and all that. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, 1 Peter 4, 16, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. This phrase, in this matter. Glorify God in on this behalf, some versions say, or in this matter. When you read the New American Standard Bible, which is a very well-known translation, here's what it says, Gary. It says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. So here's the name, not just the name of Christ in particular, but the name Christianos. Maybe it was given by the enemies of Christ. Rather than be ashamed of that name because your enemies gave it to you, glorify God in that name. Exactly. Glorify God in that name. Um, This is a bad illustration. Years ago, um, I was in a church, and there were some people in the church that didn't like me very much. I guess that's pretty standard, but... They were really against me, uh, and I thought for not sound reasons, but one of the criticisms leveled against me my, me and my preaching, Gary, very vociferously in a public meeting. One of the brethren said, look, here's what I don't like about your, you and your preaching. You preach things, and, and, when I, and when I hear it, it sounds good, but then I go home and I think about it for a while, and all week long I have to think about what you said. And I have to get out my Bible and read it, and it, it bothers me. I don't like, he says, to be made uncomfortable like that. And I said, thank you very much. That's I took that as an honor that what I was saying was challenging him to think about things and think about his life. He was insulting me with that remark. And some of his followers said, yes, yeah, yeah, all, you could hear the, the rumble of agreement that he, he, uh, he makes me think. See what I'm saying? Okay. I took that as a kind of a badge of honor. Maybe I was I was probably young and more conceited than I am now, if you can believe that. But that's what he's saying here in a very broad, bigger, more important way. Well, basically, Mike, that's what I've been trying to do on Wednesday night when I talk about <laughs> critical think. thinking. I'm trying to make you but, think. But some people really get upset about it. And, and when you're a Christian, you get people, you can be made to feel ashamed for that. He says, no, in that name, the name Christian, which has Christ's name in it, as a follower of Christ, you glorify God. So when I go out and as a Christian, not of my own volition, not because I thought of it, when I let my light shine, when I do what's right, then I am glorifying God in the, because I'm wearing the name Christian. I'm glorifying God. 
Isn't that what he says? That when men speak evil of you, let your light shine so that when men speak evil of you, they may see your good works and do what? Glorify God, God. your Father who is in heaven. So that's what Peter is saying here. Now, there's another reference of this or reference to this uh, in to this whole idea in First um, Corinthians one because what we have today, Gary, and we've got a few five minutes left or so, four minutes. So we we have people today that are called Christians all the way across whatever moral and religious spectrum you can think of, and even like this nun I mentioned who considered Muslims and Buddhists to be Christians, they were nice people. So this word is just used any which way you want to, and, and therefore it becomes meaningless. We've tried today to show you. Uh, at least how you become a Christian. We haven't really talked about all the ways that you can define Christian as far as how you're supposed to act. That wasn't really not the point of this. Of well, this well there, there are a lot of things that tell There's us. a lot more I... said about this word right. than what I've talked about today. But Paul says that, th- that this was not a lot different then and now in this respect. The church at Corinth, which is a Greek city, had become divided because they were so immature and carnal in, in their thinking. And he says in verse 11, it's been declared to me concerning you, that is the church there, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, 1 Corinthians 1 and 11, that there are contentions or divisions or schisms among you. Now I say this, each one of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm a Paulianos, we would say. Or I am of Apollos, I'm a Paulianos. Uh, I'm, I'm of Apollos, I'm a follower of Apollos, I'm a follower of, of Cephas, that's another name for Peter. Or some say, I'm a follower of Christ. I am of Christ. Is, Paul asked two questions. Is Christ divided? Well, what's the answer to that? No. No, it's a rhetorical question even in the text. He's, he's uh, shaming these people for saying that they're a follower of Paul or they're a Lutheran. They follow Luther or they're an Anglican. They follow the Church of England or they're a Methodist. They follow the methods of John Wesley or whatever the case may be. Or, or Calvin. Or Calvin or somebody. Uh, he says, is Christ divided? No. You may be divided by your, your names of people that you're following and ideas that you're following. Was Paul crucified for you? You want to wear my name, he says? Was Paul crucified for you? What's the answer? No. No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer is no. So, no, what's he mean by in the name of? He means by the authority by of the Paul. the authority of. So he's saying here, uh, if you want to be called of someone, if you want to be of Christ, there are two ways you can know you're of Christ. Number one, you will acknowledge he's crucified for you. And number two, you'll be baptized in his name. Here's that pesky baptism again. Paul says here, uh, were you baptized in my name? No. He, he attaches a great deal of significance to, the, to that. Not because he performed. He goes on to say, I didn't baptize anybody hardly myself, meaning he personally didn't dip them under the water, but he encouraged them to do so in his preaching. So to be of someone... They have to be crucified for you, be baptized in your name. So if you want to call yourself a Lutheran, a Methodist, or by any other structural name or personal name, you need to be careful about that because in order for that to be of any significance in the New Testament to you with God, they have to be crucified for you and you have to be baptized in their name. I'm thankful to say for me, not because of my own doing, but by cause of God's doing, I accept the fact that Christ is crucified for me, but I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I can claim that I am of Christ and hope I don't make him too ashamed. But the fact is, that's how it happens. Now, that's part of what we're talking about when we say that we want to be just Christians on this show. So here are people, only those people who have believed, repented, and been baptized were called Christians in the New Testament. Only those people who have believed, repented, and been baptized we're called Christians in the New Testament. And you can't glorify God in any other name. Isn't that what he says? Yes. Can't glorify God in any other name. So the question for you and me, Gary, and all of our listeners is, are you a Christian in the true Bible sense of the word? So we're going to leave you with that. Our time is gone today. Well, but one, one, one quick comment. Because our time is almost gone. Yes. Basically, I want to say, and I hope I've got time, I have heard people say, well, we talk about this pesky baptism and this definition of, of a Christian. And they'll say, well, it's not that way today. Show me in the Bible where the Bible changed. Right. We're, and we're trying to point you right back to that where the Bible says. So uh, thank you for listening today. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, and come visit us. 
at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. Thank you very much, and may God bless you.